It is indeed a privilege to be back among you, brethren. I have missed you dearly, and uh, to be back among you is a, a good thing. It had only been two Lord's Days that I missed, but uh, missing one Lord's Day is hard for me, and it's uh, so good to be back among you and to even see some new faces among us is a blessing. Um, I do thank you for your prayers and sustaining me through the heat and humidity and teaching in Zambia. I'll give a full report after our food break. Immediately following the break, we'll go right into the report. It should take about 40 minutes or so uh, with slides and pictures and all of that. It should be uh, helpful for you to kind of enter in into what it was like there in Zambia. And next week, we will be resuming our exposition in the Gospel of Mark, God willing. So uh, just to let you know that. But today, what we're going to look at is the theme of redemption, of which the, the service has been pushing us towards there, the, the singing, the content of the songs, the scripture readings, and we'll be considering this wonderful topic today. And I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read in our hearing verses 3 to 14 to gain the broader context, and we're really just going to zoom in on one and a half verses uh, today. But let's read the broader context of this glorious passage in Ephesians 1. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. <clears throat> Verse 13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, again, to the praise of His glory. Let us pray together once again. Our Father, we come before You now asking that You would be pleased to open up our hearts to hear Your truth. Lord, we pray that Your Word would go forth in clarity we pray that Your Word would not return void, but that it would accomplish its purpose in each and every soul that is present in this room this Lord's Day. Lord, we pray especially for those who do not know You, that, who are in slavery to their sin, that they would come and find release from their bonds, 
that they would repent and confess and embrace Christ by faith. And Lord, to the end, that those of us who have been in Christ for some time, that being reminded of the glories of the Gospel, Lord, we would be humbled all the more to worship You and to live a life of gratitude before You because of all that You have done for us in Christ. Lord, we ask that You'd be pleased to take this time and use it for good. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> well, as we, I've read that whole passage here, verses 3-14, to 14, it's one sentence in the original Greek. Paul begins with praise, Trinitarian praise, praising God for what He has done. He begins by using the adjective, the verb, and the noun of the word blessing, that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Father's plan that He chose a people before the foundation of the world. He chose us for a purpose that we would be holy before Him. The very nature of election in that it happened in eternity past excludes human merit. That is, there's nothing that you have done here today. Child of God, if you're in Christ, you have contributed nothing to your salvation. Salvation is all of grace. He has accomplished that for you. And the Lord is pleased to use the moral misfits, the outcasts, the, 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 the ignorant of the world, and to take them and to make them His prized possession and to save them that they might bring glory to Him. <clears throat> it goes on that He predestined us to what? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. You see, when He comes to save us and He comes to, to put us in His family, it, it's, it's not as though we're we're foster children where we don't really belong and we're kind of walking on eggshells and we, we hope that we're not kicked out of the family if we mess up. It's not that at all. We are a permanent member of God's household. Sons and daughters of God. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're in the process of adopting Emily, who's been with us for 14 months, our little five-year-old, and we got to sign the papers on Thursday. Well, we are in God's family, and the papers have been signed by the very blood of Christ. And so it is sure, it is steadfast. The blood will not fade away. You are in God's household. And then, of course, he moves from the past to the present that, that we have redemption in him, and that that we are sealed by the Spirit. Glorious things. Beautiful things. When we went through this some years ago, we spent several sermons on this, just verses 3-14 to 14 alone. Well, as we begin, and as we consider this theme of redemption, I'd like to give you an analogy. It's an analogy of a little boy who had made a boat, a handcrafted boat out of wood. And he went down by the side of the river and he tied a string to it because he'd worked so hard on this boat, he didn't want to just let it float away. And so he had a string on it, but he wanted to see if it was seaworthy, as it were. And it was floating along, and he was, had such satisfaction that he had worked so hard on this boat. And there it was, floating away, bouncing in the light waves of the river. He would pull it back in if it got too far. Well, a gust of wind came, and the string broke. He runs down the side of the shore hoping that it will come upon the sandy shore. He's running and running until finally it's out of sight. Some days later, he's coming home from school and passing the shopkeeper's window. There in the window is his boat. And he walks in and he says, Sir, that's my boat in your window. 
He says, I'm sorry, sir, somebody just brought that in. If you want it, you will have to buy it for $1. He runs home and he counts all of his coins and exactly $1. He comes back to the shopkeeper. He says, here, here's the money for my boat. So he purchases the boat. He holds the boat closely as he leaves the store and he says, now you're twice mine. First, I made you. Now, I bought you. And this is the very thing that the Lord Jesus Christ has done as He has created man in the very image of God. Sin entered the world through Adam and so now that image is marred. Now that image is, 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 is fallen. And, and we are enslaved to sin, but Jesus comes to buy us back. Jesus comes to redeem us. And it's a real ransom that takes place. And the cost is His own precious blood. So let's consider verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll consider it under four points. And they all begin with R. All speaking of redemption. And the first is this. The rudiments of redemption. What are the rudiments? The rudiments are the first principles. The very basics. The basic things of redemption. So first of all, the biblical meaning of redemption. We want to consider that. And before I give that, we want to say what redemption is not. If you choose to go home and flip on the box and watch this game today that will be watched by tens and hundreds of millions of people, and a certain quarterback makes several blunders in the first half, and at halftime the announcers are saying, maybe Brady can come and redeem himself in the second quarter, in the second half. That is not what redemption is. It's not something goofy like that. Redemption is deliverance as a result of a payment of a ransom. Redemption is pictured beautifully for us in the Old Testament again and again, and particularly with the children of Israel. They're in bondage in Egypt. They're in absolute bondage. And in Exodus chapter 6, the promise of redemption has been made. But then after the Passover, after they pass through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 15, this beautiful song of Moses, Moses says, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. A special people of which He has bought back. He has redeemed. Israel was rescued. They were delivered from all of their oppression. They were redeemed. And this is precisely what Jesus Christ has come to do. Christ Himself says in Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, apart from that provision, apart from the provision of Christ and that payment that He made, we would perpetually be living enslaved to our sin in a prison of guilt, blinded by our sin, thinking that we're serving God, thinking that we're doing the right thing, but utterly blinded. But no, He has come to bring about redemption. Now the word in the original is, is a beautiful word, packed full of meaning, and, and, and literally it, it means to buy back a slave or a captive, or to bring about a deliverance. And this is the word that's used throughout the New Testament, as well as in the Septuagint and the Old Testament. Redemption involves the payment of a ransom, to purchase something taken captive. And, and notice in the text here it says, in him we have redemption. It doesn't come through in our English translations, but the article is in the Greek. We have the redemption, the par excellence redemption of which 
no Passover lamb would do, of which no other animal sacrifice would do. It is the redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ as he came to be a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of sinners. We have, we are having, present tense, the redemption that Christ has brought about. about. Secondly, you have been redeemed from your slavery. Most of us would agree, if you were saved later in life, that that if you have any cognitive experience, whether it's through your preteen, teen years, college days, or whatever, outside of Christ, you were a slave to sin. You were shackled to your sin. You were enslaved before you experienced this new nature. So we can, we can agree, we can, we can identify with this topic. Now in the first century world, in the Roman world, slavery was a huge business. There were upwards of 6 million slaves in the Roman world. The buying and selling of slaves was a big business. And of course, if you, if a certain family, would come together to say, let's get together a price, let's purchase back cousin Charlie, who's been enslaved for some years, we'll buy him back to buy his freedom. And you put together all of your money, and when you would go down to the slave market, and be the winning bidder to get Cousin Charlie back. A certificate was given at that time from the former slave owner, and it was Lutro that it was signed with, which was the root of the word redemption. You have now bought back someone who was a slave, and you would purchase their freedom. Of course, this is the very thing that Christ has done. Now, we think of slavery, we think in the, the slave trade of the last couple hundred years, back in the 1800s in Africa, really in the area of Africa where I was at, Zambia, East, East Africa, and Central Africa, they were, they were oftentimes sent through Tanzania to the Indian Ocean and then sailed up to Europe and North America. In fact, there was a place there in Tanzania when I was there five years ago, a little town called Bagamayo, which means in Swahili to lay down your heart. That was the last place the slaves would see of Africa before they were put on the boat. They were shackled together by the neck in groups of a hundred, ten by ten, marching down, going towards Bagamayo, the last place they would go. In fact, there's a tree, I've got a picture of it, a huge tree that still has shackles that were screwed into the tree where they were chained them up temporarily before putting them on. Of course, the efforts of Wilberforce and Abraham Lincoln ultimately brought about freedom for these slaves in the West. Part of the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln says, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within the said designated states henceforth shall be free. Now why do I say all that? This is the very thing that Christ has done for us. We are enslaved to sin. If you're outside of Christ, you are a slave to sin. Christ himself said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Moral slavery to sin. And if you know anything of the holiness of God, anything of His righteousness, His impeccable purity, you begin to see the defects of your own person, the magnitude of your sin, and you confess, yes, I am bankrupt. I am a slave to my sin. I deserve eternal damnation apart from Christ standing in my place and in my stead. Brothers and sisters, we personally were under the condemnation of sin apart from Christ, in total bondage to sin. Adam was our head, 
in the garden. He represented all of humanity, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15. And when Adam fell, when he took the fruit after Eve being deceived and he ate, he represented all humanity. He plunged all humanity into sin and into utter ruin. Bankrupt, enslaved to sin because of our great, 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 great grandfather Adam. <laughs> yeah, you tracked it back far enough. You are related, right? But this imputation of sin goes to every single person. Not only were we sinners by our nature that has been imputed to us, as David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. Yes, even in the womb, that baby is a sinner, according to King David in Psalm 51, but also by our practice. Our practice verifies that indeed we are sinners. Indeed, we need deliverance. Indeed, we need, we, we're, we're without hope apart from Christ intervening for us. The law condemned us because we could never keep the perfect law of God. We're children of wrath, enslaved to Satan. Sin was our slave owner. But as it says in Colossians chapter 1, He rescued us, in verse 13, from the dominion of darkness. Notice this. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 6. Why don't you turn there with me? Romans 6. We're going to look at two passages. Romans chapter 6. First of all, verse 16 to 18. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Do you see what Paul is saying for every single child of God? You were slaves. Slaves to sin, but having been freed. Perfect tense. Something that has happened in the past with ongoing results. Having been freed, you are now slaves to righteousness. And our union to with Christ, makes our redemption effectual. Look up in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. We see this union typified even through baptism. Or do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too... So we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. We are unified with Him. We are connected to Him. And every child of God that is connected to Him will never lose their salvation. Now there's another beautiful aspect to this, and that is our future redemption. Say, well, wait a minute. I'm in Christ today. I'm a Christian today. What future redemption? Well, Paul groans, he he speaks to this, that not only is it our present possession by virtue of this union, but there's this future aspect as well. 
when we receive our glorified bodies, when we stand before Him and we see our Savior face to face, there's this future aspect to it when we will have a final and complete deliverance from our earthly bodies and the remaining sin that we battle on a daily basis. Romans 8 and verse 23, Paul says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Notice, the redemption of our body. See, so there's a future aspect as well. Not only can we look back before when we were slaves, we look back, we see that, we hate that, and then we, 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 we relish in the fact that we are having redemption today. He has accomplished it. We enjoy it today in time and space. But there's that future aspect as well in which our, we groan within ourselves longing for the redemption of our body. So those are just a few of the rudiments, just a few of the basic principles of redemption. Much more could be said, but we must hasten on. <clears throat> Let's consider in the second place the remittance that secures redemption, our second R, remittance. And notice what he says back in Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption. Notice it is through his blood. What is the method of payment? It is the blood of Christ that was paid for the ransom of your redemption. When you remit something, you're canceling the debt. And that's exactly what Christ has done. He's canceled the debt. He's removed the penalty. And this is the cost of our redemption. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, in verse 13, by the way, this is a reoccurring theme through Ephesians, but just look with me at chapter 2 and verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that brings us near. It is the blood of Christ that brings us in. Hebrews 9, our brother read it in our Scripture reading, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 10, the next chapter, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, Brethren, it was His blood and His blood alone that bought us back from the slave market of sin. He gave His life. He gave His blood. He gave His all as a substitutionary sacrifice for you. For you. You see, I'm concerned that so much of the time people can come to church even being Christians and can come cold to these realities, can drag our feet and drag our feet and just drag in a little bit late. There's no eagerness to want to come to meet with God. And how we need to remind ourselves of the glorious Gospel of God's grace. How we need to preach these things to ourselves. That we would come hungering and thirsting after righteousness that we would come with a passion to want to be among God's people to help, as it were, recalibrate, to reset the compass to where north is north. Because being battered and bruised by the world and the flesh and the devil, sometimes we can be knocked for a loop. It is among God's people, where, and particularly in the public worship service, that the Lord uses the means of grace to help calibrate us as well as the fellowship of the saints, to remind us of these glorious things. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Those words are powerful. 3.24 and the first half of verse 25. God displayed publicly his own son. And, and that propitiation that took place, the, the, that is the wrath of God, appeasing the wrath of God, his just wrath against sin was completely satisfied in the blood of his own son. All this talk of blood and, and so forth, you can't help but to think back to the Passover, that 14th day of the first month, the children of Israel, the, what would be the 10th plague there right before the parting of the Red Sea. What, what happened? There was the angel of death that was coming to kill all the firstborn. But the children of Israel had an out. They need to get a lamb, one year old, without blemish, slaughter it, cook it, eat it, and then what? That wasn't enough. Take its blood and apply it to the doorposts of the house. Now, that Passover lamb was a means of sparing every firstborn in every Israelite household, which probably numbered up around 2 million people plus. That's an amazing thing. That's a phenomenal thing. And you think, well, why are you, why are you pointing that out? Well, if you don't think that Christ fulfills that, Paul makes it very clear for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So there is no angel of death. There is no wrath of God for the child of God that has the blood of Christ applied to his account because Christ has stood in our stead. This blood is applied to believers. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is redemption accomplished, but also applied. And when He died for our sins, it wasn't as though He paid for 99% of them. And it's just up to you to do that 1%. Can you just do that 1%? No, you can't. You can't. You will fail if it depended on you. I'm not saying there's not a place for repentance and faith, but that comes after we are regenerated, after we're, there's life breathed into us. Chapter 2 of Ephesians says very clearly, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We're corpses laying on the ground with no sign of life, no vital signs, no pulse, no blood pressure, no nothing pronounced dead in sin. And there's no way we could be made alive apart from the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And then we are able to respond in faith and repentance. Well, the blood of Jesus is precious and efficacious. Peter brings this out in his first letter in chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way you inherited futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed, implied, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. One commentator said, there can be no thought of cheap forgiveness when we remember that our redemption costs God the life of His beloved Son be no thought of cheap redemption when we remember the high cost of our salvation. The blood of animals 
and all of those millions of animal sacrifices were but types and shadows pointing to the fulfillment of Christ Himself. Hebrews 9.12, it's not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The Apostle Paul, as he's pleading with those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he's there and he's encouraging those elders, those under-shepherds, to shepherd the church of God. Why, Paul? What's so special about the church of God? And he goes on to say, which he, speaking of Christ, purchased with his own blood. You see, the church is precious because it's been purchased by the blood of Christ. The second person of the Trinity came and donned human flesh and came and gave His life for us. And I hope you're not thinking, oh, I'm just tired and I'm weary of hearing about all this redemption and all of this, this blood and, and so forth. This will be the anthem of all eternity. In Revelation chapter 5, actually in 4 and 5, you have five songs. And this is just one of the latter songs in 5.9, it says, and they sang a new song. This is a snapshot into heaven. Saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. This is why I love the diversity among our own church. The different nationalities. It is a picture. It's a snapshot of what heaven will be like. Men from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every color of men and women will be there. Well, we've considered the rudiments of redemption and the remittance that secures it, which is by His blood. What is the results of redemption? Thirdly, your sins have been forgiven and removed. You see, it's not as though you have just that, 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 that somehow your redemption's been purchased, but you're still carrying a backpack of all your old sins, books and catalogs listing all of your sins from all of your life. No, they have been absolutely removed. And this is a glorious thing. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, Could there be a sweeter word in any language than the word? forgiveness when it sounds in the guilty sinner's ear like the silver notes of jubilee to the captive israelite blessed forever blessed be that dear star of pardon which shines through into the condemned cell and gives the perishing a gleam of hope amid the midnight of despair can it be possible that sin such sin as my sin can be forgiven Forgiven altogether and forever. That is the marvel of a sinner that has realized that every one of his sins has been forgiven and removed forever and ever. Now the word Paul uses here is, is trespasses. See it there in verse 7. For the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word literally means, it, it's an image word that means to to take a false step and to lose my step, as though I would stumble down these couple of stairs. But figuratively, it's used beautifully in the Bible, speaking of a deviation from God's moral standard placed upon mankind. His immoral, a deviation from His revealed will, revealed in His Word. 
a deviation from living rightly as we are called to live. And so, those sins are removing. Those trespasses are removing. The word for forgiveness is beautiful as well. Uh, remission, remove, it means to release or to send away. The act of freeing from an obligation or guilt or punishment or pardon. It's the very word that's used again and again in Acts through the preaching of the gospel, repent and believe for the forgiveness, the removal of your sins. Acts chapter 2, 5, 10, and 26, to name a few. And again, this is a beautiful picture of what we read in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Two goats were brought without blemish. One was slaughtered. The blood was applied to the mercy seat. But what about that second one? One of the few times that there's not blood. Every animal that would enter into the temple court, his life was doomed except for on the Day of Atonement, as far as I can remember. And this particular one, Aaron would lay his hands on the head, confessing his own sins, confessing all the sins of the people upon the goat. And what happened to that goat? Sent away into the wilderness. I encourage you to read Leviticus 16 again. See the beauty and and how even this is, is pictured in Christ. He has removed our sins. As far as the east is from the west, He has taken them away so that we will never have to bear them. Never. Brother, not only does His blood secure your redemption and forgiveness of past sins, but also your present sins. You see, it'd be one thing to know that this is great news to know that that all of my sins have been forgiven from this day all the way back to the day I was born. But what do I do about the future? Well, His blood atones even for that. He has purchased even that. And so when you experience the besetting sins, whatever it may be to describe you, an outburst of anger, getting angry on the road, lusting in your heart for another woman, uh, being envious in the workplace, you husbands leading more like a dictator than, than, than trying to picture Christ and His church as you lead your wife sacrificially and lovingly. You children, when you don't obey your parents with something that you're told very clearly to do and you do not do that, these are the sins that we must deal with on a daily basis. And we must remember that even these sins have been paid for. Now, do we have an obligation to make things right? Yes and Amen. Keep short accounts with God. As soon as you know that you have sinned, confess that sin to God. Hate your sin. And sometimes we're really good at doing that, but then we stop on the horizontal. And we don't go and we don't say, brother, I'm really sorry that I said this. That was wrong. Would you forgive me? Keep short accounts with God and man that you might be above reproach. I love what Paul says the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you have been bought with a price. And we need to remember that price. Therefore glorify God with your body. We need to remember Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, but He washes it white as snow. The good news of the Gospel. John Calvin preaching on this text says, God puts our sins out of His remembrance and He drowns them in the depths of the sea Moreover, and moreover receives the payment that was offered Him in the person of His Son. This imagery we see throughout the Old Testament, Micah 7.19 is one. 
It says he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. It's the very thing we remember in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We remember that our sins are forgiven. Jesus himself says, for this is my For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we'll be enjoying the ordinance of the Lord's Supper at the end of this worship service. So be preparing your heart for that. One of the Puritans said it would tire the hands of an angel to write down all of the pardons that God bestows upon truly repentant sinners. So, the forgiveness of our trespasses, but also we've been freed from the dominion of sin. Paul preaching in Acts 13 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. The remission of your sins leads to a true freedom. A a, a true freedom, and that's good news. True freedom comes through Christ. Sometimes Americans can worship our freedom, can't we? It can become a cultural idol in which we boast that we're the land of the free and the land of the brave and that kind of thing. And we can begin to worship the freedom that we have on political levels and social levels. And that's wrong. It has surely become one of our national idols. We boast of freedom from debt, freedom from working for a boss, freedom from being in the military, freedom from a bad marriage, freedom from depression, freedom to eat anything we want. But is our freedom really enslaving us? Galatians 5, Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It's a sad thing that this is exactly what we've done. In all of our freedom, we have the highest debt per person in the world. The highest divorce rate in the world. The highest consumption of antidepressants. The highest obesity rate is right here in America. Our freedom has enslaved us because we've made idols out of our freedom. We need to be careful in that area. The fact is, is each of us lives for something. And we need to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And this is why we need balance. This is why we need that recalibration, as I called it earlier, in our lives, so that we're not making idols out of our careers and and out of our children, nice polished idols that they behave so nice on the outside, but inwardly there's no real transformation going on. Even in your ministry at the church. Well, let's move on. We're running out of time. We've considered the rudiments of redemption, the remittance that secures it, the results, the forgiveness of sins, and finally, the riches of redemption. Paul says here, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. It's a beautiful phrase. All of this, all of this redemption is measured by something. It's measured by the riches of His grace. 
In fact, throughout Ephesians, the riches of his kindness, the riches of his glory, the surpassing riches of his grace. Uh, this, this theme occurs again and again. And when he says in verse 8, which he lavished upon us, the, the word means to superabound, to, to heap more and more. It, it's like the lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, the, the man with the English accents, and then the lavish swimming pool and the lavish this. Well, this, this is real lavish, real riches that has been lavished upon us. It means to superabound, to have increasing abundance. Allow me to give you another analogy, just picturing the portions of God's grace. The Niagara Falls, are, people come from all over the world to see Niagara Falls. Every minute, 200,000 tons of water pass over the falls into the Niagara River Gorge below. God could have made those falls six inches tall, but instead he made them 12 stories tall. So it would be a wonderful thing to see for those from all around the world. What a picture of God's grace in Christ. It's according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us. Again, the word means to exceedingly measure Something so far above the ordinary that, that we would not even know it. You see, God does not come to dispense His grace to you, brethren, with an eyedropper. Here, Len, here's three drops for you. You had a good week. You only get one drop. No, He lavishes it upon us like the Niagara Falls of His grace. And we are the beneficiaries of this superabundance grace bestowed to us. It is these Riches of divine grace that is the ultimate cause of our redemption. And you know, the acronym grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's Christ that brought these about. And when it says according, it's, it's a, <clears throat> the Greek word means to govern something, to, to give the reason for something, and it's according to His grace, heaped more and more, supersized upon us. Well, having considered just a few things about what redemption is, having considered what Christ has accomplished for us in regards to redemption, let's consider just a few concluding applications. First of all, the fact that God's grace has been lavished on you or me is utterly humbling. Who are we? Who are we to receive such benefit from Almighty God? I trust that you you know something more about redemption today or you've been reminded about something that, 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 that it can cause praise and worship to whelm up inside of you. And brethren, He did not merely make something possible. Now go back to the, the Roman world. 2,000 years ago, when you would buy back a slave, it wasn't as though, well, now we're going to spin the roulette wheel or the lottery wheel or something and see if he comes up and he might really actually be free. No, you actually purchased the freedom of that slave. When Christ died on the cross, He actually purchased a people. His elect people, which were predestined before the foundation of the world. He actually secures the redemption of each one that the Father has given Him. Is Christ precious to you today? When we partake of the Lord's Supper, and by the way, this is only for Christians. You'll be warned about that. But if you're in Christ, can you just kind of go through the motions? Here we go again. Or, or do, are you reminded 
in your mind of the preciousness of Christ and all that He has done for you? Are you reminded how quickly your heart can become cold and confess that and ask that the Lord would stoke that fire once again in your heart? All of this privilege that has been lavished on you. And guess what? You've got nothing to pay back. You can put the biggest check in the offering box. You can come here three hours before and stay three hours after, serving in the church, helping. You've got nothing to pay back. Those are things you should do out of gratitude, but you've got nothing you can do to pay them back. It is all of grace, a full and a free forgiveness that is ours by virtue of what Christ has done. What do we pay back? A life of gratitude. Seeking to live for Him. Seeking to be a light to a a lost and dying world. An attitude of gratitude that affects all of life. It affects you in your home. How you treat your wife. How you train your children. How you serve in the church. Your commitment to the church. All of those things will be radically affected, but it's not paying God back for what He has already done in Christ. It is all of free grace. 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. It's the only way we would love is because He's first loved us. John Newton, that former slave trader and wretched sinner, converted in his late 30s, I believe, said this, when we get to heaven, there will be three wonders. Who is there? Who is not there? And the fact that I'm there. May it continue to be an amazement and a wonder to you that who are you that God would have chosen you? If we have been made alive, we we are unified to Christ as our head and, and our lives should be marked by holiness, conducting ourselves like children of the King. If you're truly a child of the King, you should conduct yourself as a child of the King. And then find great comfort in the Gospel. Some of us have scars from our time when we were slaves to sin. Time before we came to the Lord. We, we have scars and we think, like as Paul writes in Titus 3, and we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our whole life in malice and envy. But the scars you need to focus on are not those past scars. It's the scars of your Savior. It's Jesus' scars. It will be a constant reminder of the high cost of our redemption that He's ransomed us by His blood on the cross so that we might be free. And if you're trusting Christ, you're not a slave anymore. You are free. And this is what makes Jesus so precious. This is what makes the Gospel something that is to be cherished this treasure we have on earth in vessels, it's, it's a tr- we cherish the Gospel. And if you're here today, lastly, and you're a stranger to God's grace, you're a slave to your sin. You are in absolute bondage. I invite you to come to be released of your slavery. See Christ as a suitable Savior. One that has come to pay for all of the sins of all of God's people. And, and repent of your sin and come to Him. Come for amnesty. You don't have to remain a slave anymore. You can come and be freed. The shackles of sin disintegrated. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. But we must trust in him. Receive the gift of God's faith. Don't harden your heart. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, come to Christ. Let us pray together. Father, we thank You that we can be reminded of these wonderful things. We thank You so much for the plan of redemption, the covenant of redemption from eternity past. We thank You that Christ is our only mediator, that He is our prophet, priest, and king. Oh Lord, I pray indeed that You would edify each saint that is here. Lord, that You would build up our faith, that You'd strengthen our faith, Lord, for any here who do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. We thank you that you have given us this time in Jesus' name.